Today's scriptures from Psalm 81 to the choir master, according to Githith of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is the statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you today, we, we come on behalf of your grace and your mercy. Without your grace and mercy, we would be lost. Life would be futile. But God, because of the power that's in your word, that reveals to us our need for your grace and need for your mercy. We're just drawn to you today. And so now as we continue to worship by looking at the, the word that you've given us for today, God, I pray that you'll take us to your heart, help our minds, our spirits to just lock in on you. God, reveal yourself to us in a powerful way as we continue now to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me today to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. You know, some things in life are harder to do than other things. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, I had an inside to melanoma cancer diagnosed on my face and had it removed. Uh, I was thrilled that they caught it early uh, before it moved to stage one. Last year, I, I noticed this little brown spot on my face, and to your credit, many of you pointed out that little spot on my face, and uh, my wife especially continued to point it out. But because of COVID and so forth, and because I just, you know, I sloughed it off as, uh, as an age spot, you know, but finally, last month, I went back to my doctor, and once again, he revealed to me through biopsy that the melanoma has returned. Some things in life are harder to admit than others, so I had to go to my wife, and I announced to many of you today 
the hardest six words in the English language. I am sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> and again, I've had to say that with great meaning to people close to me. In Psalm 80, last week, we, we learned that uh, God wants to give us life. And God wants to give us new life. And I don't know what it is about those six words that are so difficult to say. I am sorry, I was wrong. But especially in, in our relationship with God, sometimes those words are just hard to say. It's hard for us to admit, admit that we have strayed away from God. It's hard for us to admit to Him that, that we're wrong, that we're sorry, that we need His mercy. In our study of book three of the Psalms, uh, we've learned some incredible things about God. We've also learned that there are some hard realities about our relationship with God. God wants to give us life. He wants to continually revive us and restore us to Him as we studied last week in Psalm 80. In the weeks prior, we learned that that. that that God wants to answer our prayers. We've learned that God wants to guide us. We've learned that God wants to empower us. But before God can send us revival or answer our prayers or guide us or empower us, our hearts have to be right with Him. And that's where we come today in, in Psalm 81. Last week, we closed Psalm 80. Morgan closed by giving us an example from the life of Jonathan Edwards about what life looked like in the 18th century when revival truly broke out in a community, what it looks like in, in real life. And so today in Psalm 81, we continue to ask the question, where is God? And today we're going to find out that the answer is that God is calling repentant people. And my desperate prayer today is that that'll be me. That that'll be you. That we'll be willing to open up our lives to the conviction of God's Spirit. And that we'll be willing to repent. Now let me explain what I'm talking about when I talk about repentance. Because repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is more than just saying, I was wrong. That's a starting point. That's where it begins. But repentance is feeling the weight of my sin. You and I cannot imagine how sin hurts the heart of God. We can't imagine how sin destroys our own lives. We, we can't imagine how sin just wrecks relationships around us in our life. Sin is serious. And when God points out sin in our life, the first thing to do is say I'm sorry, to say I'm wrong, but then to feel the weight, to feel the heavy burden that sin truly places upon our lives. 
And then confess it. Confess our sin before God and then turn away from it. And then repentance is not complete until we literally turn away from our sin and turn to totally and completely obey the instructions of God. No believer, you, me, no believer, ever grows spiritually beyond the point of daily repenting of our sin and abandoning our sin with a broken heart and turning away from our sin and turning back to God. Repentance is never complete without understanding that godly sorrow that we have caused because of our sin and asking God to forgive us and set us free from that. And so in summary, repentance means forsaking sin and selling out to following all of God's commands. And that's where we're headed today in, in, in Psalm 81. Psalm 81 teaches us that, that there are three aspects to this kind of repentance. So let's just dig in and look at these three aspects of repentance. First of all, in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 85, we're reminded that repentance is a call to rejoice. It's a call to rejoice. In verse 1, he says, Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon. At the full moon. At our, on our feast day. For it is a statue for Israel. A rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went, over, when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. Do you feel the celebration involved in the worship that is expressed when repentance is complete in the life of the believer? Believers are called to rejoice in worship. God is calling you today to rejoice in Him. In verse 1, He he says that true believers are called to sing loudly and joyfully. Way to go, Palmetto Shores. I, I was just singing and listening this morning to the celebration that was taking place here. And we've got a great atmosphere, a great opportunity to sing and rejoice in God. Why do we do that? Well, the psalmist explains that in verse 1. He says, sing aloud to God our strength said this so many times, but it bears repeating. You wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God. You couldn't sustain your life without His breath in your lungs. Everything about life revolves around the strength of God. And we have the opportunity to join in partnership with Him and do life with Him. And when we do that, we can't help but celebrate. We can't help but lift up our praise to God. We're called to worship corporately and often. And verses 2 and 3 describe using gifts and talents and abilities. You might be like me. You might not play a musical instrument. But, but you can use your life to be a beautiful sound in expressing your worship and the heart of your worship to God. 
Some of you do have talents and gifts and abilities that you can use to celebrate the worship of God. And I encourage you to jump on board and engage in that kind of worship because God deserves it. God is our strength. Israel had the call to worship according to the psalmist in new moons and full moons and feast days. and I mean, Israel was just a celebrating country and still it's that way today. The, the, the cosmic events and the historical celebrations were, were invitations for Israel to join in and worship God. Today, we have the opportunity every week to join in in worshiping and celebrating God because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. He arose on the first day of the week, and so on Sunday, the first day of the week, we come together corporately in order to lift up our praise in obedience and gratitude to God, as verse 4 and 5 says. Worship starts by acknowledging who God is. And His grace calls you and me to repent of our sin so there'll be nothing blocking our worship, our relationship with Him. So repentance is a call to rejoice. And I trust that you are in that spirit today. When, when Gail and I were in Israel, we had the opportunity to be in the Holy Land, two different Sabbaths. The first Sabbath, we were up in the northern part of the country, in Galilee, and the celebration there was, you know, families gathering together out on the mountainsides, out in the countryside. They would gather together, they would play games together and, and, and sing and fellowship and share food together. It was just a, a joyous experience to see how worship took place in that remote northern part of Israel. The second Sabbath we were there, we were in Jerusalem. And man, oh man, what a party. I mean, the Sabbath was, was a true celebration. I mean, there was music and dancing and people jumping up and down. I mean, you're talking about a real party. They shouldn't have anything on us in expressing the degree of our worship to the Lord. Because, you know, they were just, for the most part, you know, I'm not judging, but most of those people were probably just going through a ritual celebration. But I want to tell you what, we have something to celebrate. And our worship should be just as festive, just as engaging, as much as is possible within us. When God is the priority of our life, worship is a celebration. And I want to challenge you to bring your life in alignment with God, recognizing who He is, and worship Him corporately, but also you understand that that begins privately and personally. In Romans chapter 8, we've been, we've been studying that whole chapter a few verses at a time in many of our small group studies. And we've learned that God is sovereign. God is powerful. And God is God and we are not. And so we have the opportunity because of who He is to lift up our praise and worship Him. Not just on Sunday, but daily. So let me ask you this morning. Has, has God chosen you? Have you felt the power of God, the Spirit of God, 
drawing you to know God and to worship Him in a personal way. If you've never committed your life to Him, I bet you feel Him calling you to recognize Him for who He is and to begin to worship Him right now. What, what areas in your life do you need to allow God to bring life to your worship, to revive your worship? When you express worship, is there a clear sound and a clear language being spoken that God can understand, that God resonates with, with your heart? The psalmist says that there was a strange language in Israel. See, communication with God starts with expressing His language, and His language for you and me begins by us having a repentant heart, expressing to God that we've messed up, we're far from Him. In order for us to truly worship Him, we have to resonate with His voice and be willing to obey Him and talk to Him in a way that He could understand that is not cluttered by a strange language that sin offers. As you know, for 400 years, Israel was in slavery in Egypt. There were strange languages in Egypt that Israelites did not mix with and could not understand. They stayed separate. And you and I today need to be aware that there are voices calling us in the world that will mix up our language in communicating with God. We need to make sure we stay closely in touch. And the psalmist here is going to tell us how to do that. He didn't just throw that out there and leave us hanging. But are you living in a strange land today? And is the language of sin mixing up your conversation with God? Your communication with God? Are people around you hearing the clear, distinctive sound of your worship through your life as you live your testimony before them. I trust that that is true. I trust that they're hearing clear worship sounds coming from your life. Over our lifetime, Gail and I have experienced some incredible worship and we love the season that we're in right now. Here at Palmetto Shores, our worship team doesn't just show up on Sunday morning and just randomly choose music for us to sing. You'll notice that hours have been spent pouring over the message that we want to lift up to God and let Him hear from our hearts. But that doesn't just start on Sunday morning. It starts... Monday and runs through Saturday. Every day we begin our day with personal, private worship. And we invite you to do the same thing. I trust that every day you begin by recognizing the majesty of God and by always letting every day be marked as you journey through that day with a repentant heart, a repentant spirit. David knew what that was like. 
before David became king, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David told a lie. And it cost 385 people their lives. 85 priests were slaughtered because David told a lie. But in the Psalms, he expresses the remorse and repents of that kind of activity in his life. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet he constantly had to go before God and ask God to forgive him. Psalm 51, after he became king of Israel, he committed adultery and murder. And Psalm 51 is an expression of his repentant heart, a true repentant heart. So our worship begins by recognizing the majesty of God and it's marked by repentance. And here's the deal. If we're not worshiping God Monday through Saturday in the everyday routines of our life, then what we do on Sunday has no real substance to it at all before God. Do you hear God calling you to worship Him with your life every day? Do you hear God calling you to truly worship Him today? Well, remember, it, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. Secondly, in the middle part of this song, repentance is a call to remember, beginning with verse 6, a call to remember. Look at what he says. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress, you called, and I delivered. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Now we're asked to pause here and think about these things. We look back and we remember how faithful the hand of God is God always has been and always will be faithful. Let me say that again. God always has been and God always will be faithful. Israel was being challenged to look back and remember how God picked them up out of Egypt and led them across the desert into the promised land. We have several references to that in in, in verse 6, your hands were freed from the basket. This is obviously a reference to Moses. Moses was the leader God chose to lead Israel from Egypt to the promised land. Moses didn't lead the children of Israel to the promised land. God did. Now God will use people in your life to reflect His voice and to share His voice. But God has always been faithful, and He always will be faithful. God relieved Israel from bondage, the psalmist reminds them. In verse 7, God answered when they cried for help. He led His people out of bondage with a, a cloud by day and a fire by night. But this passage reminds us that the secret place of thunder, in verse 7, the secret place of thunder was where God shouted to individual people. Corporately, the cloud and the fire. 
But God spoke, when God led Moses, for example, up on Sinai, if you read that passage in Exodus or Deuteronomy, you'll see that there was a thundering voice of God on that mountain. When God spoke to his leaders through the tent of meeting, there was a thundering voice of God. Thunder has a way of catching our attention, doesn't it? When my grandmother, my great-grandmother, was uh, in her later years, my brothers and I would spend time hanging out with her. And any time a thunderstorm came up, the thunder would clap and she would just start shaking and fall down on her knees. Early in her life, she had seen one of her children struck by lightning. And she had this severe fear about thunder caught her attention in a powerful way. And that's the way the voice of God is for you and me. The voice of God catches our attention and draws us to a personal intimacy that He wants to have with us. We call that prayer. Every single moment of every day, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, pray without ceasing. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We, we can constantly hear, sometimes the quiet voice, but many times, especially in crisis, we can hear the thundering voice of God. He offers us that privilege today. Also in verse 7, he mentions the tested you at the waters of Meribah. This is a story in Exodus chapter 17. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Imagine being a part of the tribe of Israel. God calls Moses to lead you out of Egypt, and he's going to take you to the promised land. You come to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is behind you. And what does God do? He miraculously says, he says, Moses, Take that rod and touch the water. And when Moses touches the water, what happens? The water rolls back. And a million or more Israelites walk across through the bed of the Red Sea on dry ground. They get to the other side and Israel, uh, Egypt is still pursuing them. And what happens? God rolls the water over the enemies, wipes them out. Israelites are free to go on their journey to the promised land. Now, just a few weeks later, they come to the place in the desert. God says, camp here at Meribah. And so they pitch the camp. They go to get water, and the water is bitter water. They can't drink it. So, what would be the obvious thing that the leadership of Israelites would do and the people of Israel would do? Well, the obvious thing would be they would pray for another miracle. God, you, you brought us across the sea on dry ground. Would you please turn this water into sweet water? But what does God's rebellious people do? They start calling for Moses' head. They cry out to kill Moses for leading them out there. And God has to teach him a severe lesson at, at, at Mirabah. 
And so the writer of this song says, look back and remember what God did at, at Meribah. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. You failed that test. But God continued to be faithful. Provide water, provide food for their journey across the desert. Have there been times recently in your life where you have been challenged and tested and maybe failed the test? I don't know about you, but I have. And because of God's faithfulness, I look back and I remember, I say, God, you forgave Israel. You continued to lead them in spite of their failure. Do it again. Do it again in my life. Because God always has been and always will be faithful. So what's your first response in a time of trouble? Do you call on God first and ask Him for a miracle? Or do you start looking around trying to blame somebody else for the discomfort that you might be in? See, repentance is a call to remember and learn from the past mistakes so we don't repeat them again. So remember to listen to God when He speaks. In verse 8, God calls Israel again. He says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Wake up, you people. Listen to me, God says. I want to bless you. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So a couple things about this paragraph. First of all, when God calls, and He is calling, He's calling some of you today. He's calling some of you to wake up and listen to Him. He's calling you to repent and turn away from your sin and turn to Him. He's calling you. But when He calls, you have to listen. You have to respond. God must be heard when He is called. And then you have to be willing to listen and obey. Verse 9 opens up something that is so real to us today, it's unbelievable. It deals with idolatry. God forgives, God forbids, God forbids idolatry. Why is idolatry such a big deal? I think I can put this in a picture you can understand. Last weekend, Gail and I had the privilege of going down to Charleston for a few days. We left on Friday morning. We drove to Charleston. We had an exhausting day. At the end of the day, we went to the hotel room. At 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon, I checked into our hotel room. At 11 o'clock, we finally made it back. On the way back, I received a digital key. You know what that is. On the cell phone, they'll give you, a, you don't have to go to the front desk or anything now. Had a digital, digital key on my cell phone. And so we get to the 
hotel at 11 o'clock. The parking lot's full, so we park around back. We go through the back door, go up the stairs to 205, which was our room. I put my digital key up, the door unlocks. I turn the handle on the door and push, and guess what? The deadbolt is on. There's somebody else in our room. We look at each other in frustration. We grab our stuff. We go down the elevator to the front desk. Nobody there. Nobody at the front desk. Literally, 10 or 15 minutes later, this guy comes in the door. You know, he comes around the corner. He puts on his little jacket. He comes up to the desk. And I said, man, we got a little problem. He said, okay. I said, there's somebody else in our room. A lady had come and occupied the other computer station. He looked over at her, and she looked at us, and she said, there's nobody in your room. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, there is somebody in my room. She picks up the phone, she calls the room, and somebody else answered the phone. She said, you need to come down and get another key because this gentleman has your key to your room, and they said, we're not coming down. Anyway, I could make a long story out of this, but short story is, imagine how God feels when he comes to the door of our heart and somebody else or something else is in his room. God has a place in your heart and in my heart that only belongs to Him. Exclusively belongs to Him. And we look at the past and we remember that Israel let other gods in to take the place of God. And you and I today need to be aware that nothing deserves the highest priority place in our life over and above God Himself. He has a place in our life that's reserved for Him. And I would encourage you to join me in making sure that we don't have any deadbolts <laughs> keeping God out of our life, but that we, we keep Him in the highest place of priority in our life. Remember to keep God in his proper place in our life. Why? Well, the psalmist goes on in verse 10 and explains that God abundantly supplies all of our needs. Look, he says in verse 10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So let me give you another picture of what this looks like. Imagine, imagine that you are so thirsty you're about to die. Have you ever been really, really, really thirsty and not had access to water? It's hard to imagine that, but just imagine. You don't have any water anywhere. You're on a desert. There's no water, and you're about to die. All of a sudden, it starts pouring down rain, and what do you do? You lift your head toward the heavens, and you open your mouth wide, and you let that rainwater quench your thirst and nourish you. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what God says He wants to do for you and me in our spiritual life. Sin causes us to be dry and thirsty. Life is meaningless. 
But God wants us to turn to Him, repent of our sin, turn away from our sin and turn to Him, and open our spiritual mouths wide and let Him be the one who fills us up. That's exactly the picture I see here in this psalm. Now, if that happens to you, how could you ever forget that? When God goes overboard to supply for you what you cannot supply for yourself, how could you ever forget that? Well, Israel did. They forgot what God had done in return to their rebellion. Verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Follow their own counsels. God, I'm dead bolting you out of my life. My way is better than your way, so no thanks. I won't let you in. Don't let that be you today. Because God judges rebellion. Verse 11 and 12 reminds us that there's a trap that's set when we don't listen to the voice of God. And that's to be pulled away with the whims of this world. Pulled away with the patterns and the logic of this world. That's not where you were designed to live. Israel needed repentance. In the first century, they had the same kind of scenario played over again. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and died. He arose from the grave. And just a generation later, in Romans chapter 1, we have a description that looks exactly like this. It's exactly what the first century Christian church did. Romans chapter 1 describes God's wrath turned against, the Bible says, ungodliness and unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1 said, these people knew God, but they did not honor Him and give thanks to Him. The Bible says they turned from wisdom to foolish lusts. And then in verse 24, Romans chapter 1, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts. I don't know if there's a sadder picture in history than that. Israel did it. The first century Christian community did it. But let's fast forward 2,000 years later. Are you and I guilty of the same thing, of turning to the wisdom of this world, turning to idols, and letting them take the place of God in our life? If you've been born again, God has supplied you with His living water. His living water. He wants to invite you and me to drink from His living water and Favor His wisdom over the wisdom of this world. So are we remembering from the past and learning from it? Because repentance is a call to remember. 
1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where repentance starts. Why do we need forgiveness? Because sin is a deadly cancer. It will not only kill you physically, it will kill you and cost you for eternity. So the psalmist is calling us to repent. Finally this morning, repentance is a call to return to God. Return to God. We see that in verses 13 to 16. Verse 13 says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Two things that are paramount here. First of all, God, God calls us to hear. His voice is, is, is calling out to us. He gives us His word. He gives us a community to share His truth together. He's calling us to Himself through His word and through other believers and through prayer. But not only is He calling us to listen to Him, He's calling us to walk in His ways. In other words, we have to take action to remember and then action to live according to God's commands. I remember the day when I gave my life to Jesus. I was sitting on the sofa in my home Two preachers were on either side of me. Now, that's a scary thought. One preacher on this side, one preacher on this side. One of the preachers pulled out a little piece of paper, and he began to write on that piece of paper. He looked at me. He said, Ronnie, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 that there's none righteous, no, not one. Do you believe that? I said, yes, sir. He said in Romans 3.23, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know who all is? I said, yes, sir, that's me. He said, do you admit that you're a sinner? I said, yes. He said, the Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? I said, yes, sir. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. So he said, you admit that you're a sinner and you believe that Jesus died for your sin. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, Ronnie, are you willing to repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, ask God to forgive your sin of your sin, and then turn your life to living for him for the rest of your life? I said, yes, sir, I'm willing to commit to that. He said to them, why don't you pray and ask God to forgive you? And I prayed that day and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And that's when worship began to be meaningful to me. So let me ask you today, has, has anything like that ever happened to you? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Believe that Jesus died for your sin? And committed your life to know and follow him. I trust that you have. Because there's a benefit to that. God has something beautiful for those who will commit their life to him. Look at verses 14 through 16. 
God fights our battles for us. It says in verse 14, I would, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. What is that saying? That's saying God has His best for those who will put our faith and our trust in Him. Water and honey. Look at the source. From rocks. I mean, that's not a natural place from water to flow from or from honey to flow from. Not rocks. But that's what God can do. He can take the tough places of your life, the places where your greatest challenges come from. And out of that, He can bring forth honey and water that will satisfy your thirst and feed your soul. So let Him satisfy you today. God faithfully satisfies those who will repent. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, For they drink from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to draw from the source that God has for forgiveness of sin when we repent of our sin and trust Jesus to come into our life. Repentance is a call for us to return to God. Returning to God starts when I say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, but it's more than that. It creates an atmosphere in my life when I turn away from my sin and turn to God to worship Him. And worship begins with an attitude. An attitude in my heart toward God. Repentance is not an occasional event. It's a, a brokenness over sin, a turning away from sin and turning back to God as a, as a way of lifestyle. It's a daily kind of deal. And God always is calling His people to repent. Godly living begins with repentance, continues with repentance, and always will progress with repentance. Cancer is deadly to human life. It has to be cut out. God wants to do surgery in my life and in your life today and every day. So make sure that someone or something else is not in God's place in your life. If it is, ask Him today to cut it out, to bring healing to your soul. Jesus Christ is the only cure for sin. God is calling repentant people today to trust the forgiving power of Jesus. His sacrifice is sufficient for your life and my life. So repent and turn to Him. The last verse says, He would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Don't settle for junk food. <laughs> Let God give you His honey. 
his water. So that back to verse 1, you can sing aloud to God our strength and shout for joy to God. So what's the application? The application is repent and daily, daily worship God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Apply that blood to your life today. God, thank you for calling us to repentance. Thank you for calling us not just to go through motions of worship, but to allow our worship to be exciting and celebrative because we look to you as the strength and the source and the power of mercy and forgiveness and grace that you want to pour out into our lives. God, I pray that not one person will go away from here today without feeling the power of your spirit working in our life. And God, if there's anything occupying our life other than you, if there's anything occupying that place in our life, God, help us not to deadbolt you out of our life, but to keep you in the the highest priority place in, in our life so that we might be able to experience the bounty of your honey, the bounty of your living water applied to our life today. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. Amen.